Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, New Covenant. Welcome. I want to ask you a question as Jesus-loving and people-loving people. What would you do if you knew that impending doom was upon somebody? You knew it ahead of time. Would you warn them? My buddy Dwight from the office, he did just that. Watch. I took a box of Dwight's stationery. So from time to time, I send Dwight faxes from himself, from the future. Dwight, at 8 a.m. today, someone poisons the coffee. Do not drink the coffee. More instructions will follow. Cordially, future Dwight. You'll thank me later. Okay, I, I couldn't resist because today gets a little bit serious. We're diving into Revelation chapter 6, and I'm thinking, man, if like Dwight, I knew that some impending doom was upon somebody, would I tell them about it? Would I do everything I could to rescue them from it? And then I began to realize as I'm studying through the book of Revelation, we actually have a little glimpse into the future. What's awaiting those that have yet to trust Jesus? question that I have to ask myself is, Dave, what are you doing about it? Have you warned people about what is coming? So we're going to take a look at that together this morning. We're actually going to be two weeks in Revelation chapter 6. We're going to look at all 17 verses this morning, and then we're going to go back over all 17 verses next week. And we're doing that because where I'd like to start is with the why question. Why is God going to bring about such terrible events that we're about to read about in Revelation chapter 6? And then next week, we'll dive into the what. What's going to happen during this thing that we call the seven-year tribulation that God speaks of? Now, before we even begin to read this, what I love about the book of Revelation is that it makes us have to know the rest of Scripture well in order to understand the book of Revelation. In other words, when I pick up this book and we're about to read about these four horsemen that are coming and the different woes that are coming upon people and the different judgments, and I have heard some wacky views as to who these four horsemen are and what they come to do, and we don't have to make stuff up. Scripture actually tells us exactly what is about to happen or what is happening in the book of Revelation. So I'm hoping and I'm praying that by the time we're done today, you're going to see how Scripture speaks to Scripture and Scripture interprets Scripture. And part of my big goal in being up here and one of the things that I love about the leaders that God has brought to us is that it's not about us telling you what the Scriptures say, but teaching you also how to interpret the Scriptures on your own. It's vitally important that you leave this place when Sunday is over and you dive into the Word Monday through Saturday understanding what the scriptures teach. Are we ever going to understand all of it perfectly, all 66 books? Heck, if you figure that out, somebody write a book for me, because I'm, I'm still learning God's Word as we go. But what a blessing it is to get to continue to learn and grow together. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask you again, just in reverence for who our King is, would you mind standing with me as we read Revelation chapter 6, uh, all 17 verses this morning? Here we go. It says, Now I watched 
When the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I saw the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were, they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? With that, you can have a seat. Not to disappoint you, but we are not even going to get into what any of these riders mean this morning. We're not going to get into this great earthquake. We're not going to get into all the pestilence and the death because we're going to first answer the question this week with why. Why all of this? Why these riders on horses? Why all this death? Why all this destruction? And it really is all going to come from one big idea. In his time... And in his way, God is going to righteously judge this world. By the way, that's a good thing. We have mentioned this around here before, but it is a good thing that Jesus is not only all gracious and all merciful, but he's also all just and all knowing. And he is one day going to deal with all of the evil that we see running rampant in our world today. Where I'd like to start is five reasons for why God is going to use the tribulation to judge the world. Of all the ways to do it, why has it got to be so brutal? Why are some of these things going to happen? I'm just going to show you five. There's more. This is definitely not an exhaustive list, but I'm going to take what I believe are the big five and show you why God is using the tribulation to judge the world. Now, you're going to have to jump all over Scripture with me this morning because I'm going to show you how all of Scripture points to what's happening in Revelation chapter 6 or many places in Scripture that point to why what is happening in Revelation 6 is happening. So are we ready? Good. Five of you are ready to roll. 
Here we go. Why the tribulation? The first one that we're going to get comes from Revelation chapter 15. Now, there's a lot that we're going to be diving into this morning, so don't worry if you miss it. It's right there on your sermon notes. Um, You can go back and see my ugly mug on video if you want. All of the video editing in the world doesn't make it any better, but you can go back and you can watch and you can get answers if you miss any of these because we're going to be all over the place together this morning in Scripture as we take a look at why God used this tribulation that we're going to take a look at from Revelation chapter 6 all the way up to about Revelation chapter 19. The first answer comes in Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its names standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. In Revelation chapter 15, we're getting towards the end of God pouring out his wrath, and we get the answer as to why. Why did these seal judgments happen? Why did these trumpet judgments happen? And the worst of all, why did the bowl judgments happen? And the answer is to prove God's power over all of creation. Did you know that there's nothing happening that is outside of God's knowledge right now? He knows all of it. And as we take a look around, we notice that things are a bit of a mess And yet nothing happens that God doesn't know about beforehand. He already knew what was going to happen to you today. He knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen to you next year. And he already knows how he's going to use it all for his glory. Now, about 3,500 years ago, there was this Egyptian ruler by the name of Pharaoh who decided one day he was going to mock God Almighty and said, who is this God? Who is this Lord that you speak of? And he begins to speak of himself as God as if nobody could ever take him down, and God hears the challenge. And can you imagine what God is thinking? Oh, you little man, I know you think you rule the world, but I'm going to show you just how little you are through ten simple plagues. Fast forward a few thousand years, and you have this man called the Antichrist who's going to set himself up as God someday. And once again, God is going to look down at him and go, oh, little man, if only you realized who I was. And he's not only going to take him down, but he's going to take down all those that worship him. Right now, Satan is doing everything he can to set the stage for his puppet, the Antichrist. Is the Antichrist on the scene right now? Well, that's an interesting question. There's a guy named Dr. Mark Hitchcock who wrote about that. And he seems to believe, and I tend to agree with him, that the Antichrist has been on the scene ever since Jesus came the first time. In other words, Satan has been raising up somebody who could be the Antichrist ever since Jesus came. Do you know why? Because Satan has no idea when Jesus is going to rapture us out of here and the tribulation is going to begin. So he needs to have an Antichrist ready at all times. Now, please don't start trying to guess who the Antichrist is because I have no idea. What I know is that he's going to be a male and he's going to have Roman descent. 
Those are a couple of things that we know about the Antichrist. And he's also going to be very persuasive, and he's going to lead a lot of people to follow him. And I can see Satan getting us set up for that right now. Now, I don't mean to get all political on everybody, but think about an event that we just had back in 2020 called COVID-19. And the entire world was ready to listen to anything that the government told them to do. If the government says, do this, you do it. Now, tell me that's not paving the way for the Antichrist. He's going to come in the midst of absolute chaos, promise peace, and say, just follow me, do whatever I tell you, and everything will work out for your good. Oh, churches, you're not allowed to gather. Now, listen, I am so blessed to serve with the leadership that I currently serve with, because one of the things that we talked about is if that ever happens again, you know how long we're going to shut down? And we're going to get all kinds of fines for saying, I'm sorry, but God called me to preach the word. He called us to gather together around the word, around Jesus. So that's the one that we will serve. Now, I just probably got myself in a lot of trouble because I understand that the time is coming where pretty soon we could get jailed for talking about some of this. But I hope and I pray that just like Paul and Silas, if we get jailed, we see jailers come to know Jesus because New Covenant can't shut their face about who he is. That's, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the direction that our church is going. One thing that I have noticed before I move on to our second point is this. When it comes to Jesus sitting on the throne, he sits on the throne alone. He doesn't have a love seat that he asks anybody to join him on. And yet we have treated our Jesus like someone who, who whips out a love seat and says, you know what, join me and do you want to have some say in how this goes down? Jesus said, no, I'm sorry. But like that bumper sticker says, God is my co-pilot, God does not co-pilot with anybody. He is in the cockpit. He is in control. We are along for the ride. And I hope and pray that we realize that soon. So what's the first purpose of the tribulation? What's the first purpose of this seven years that God's going to use to judge the world? To prove his power over all of creation. Well, here's the second thing. It's from Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7, as well as Zechariah chapter 13. In Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it says, Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob. It ha- he shall be saved out of it. Do you all know what Jacob had his name changed to? Israel. In Zechariah chapter 13, again, speaking directly to the nation of Israel, Zechariah 13, verses 8 through 9 says, In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Zechariah, hundreds of years before Jesus even comes on the scene the first time, let alone comes again, prophesies that two-thirds of the nation of Israel will be killed during this time that we call the hour of Jacob's trouble, during this seven-year tribulation. So what is the second purpose for the tribulation. It's to prepare Israel for the second coming of Jesus. If you don't know this, most of the Jews today, most of Israel are actually atheists. They're Jewish by culture, but by, by belief, most are atheists. They have not bowed their knee to Yeshua. They have not bowed their knee to the Messiah. And Jesus is going to make sure, as the book of Romans says, that all of Israel one day will be saved. If there are six million Jews at the time that Jesus comes again, two-thirds will be killed. 
That third that's left will finally bow their knee to Jesus and cry out the words that were written in the book of Isaiah that he was crushed for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. Listen to those personal pronouns, our and we. That's specifically coming from the nation of Israel. They're finally going to recognize their Messiah. They're finally going to bow the knee, but God's going to have to use the tribulation to do it. He's going to use it as a time of refining for Jacob or for Israel. The third reason for the tribulation comes from Isaiah 26. In verse 21, it says, For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and, they, and will cover its slain, and will no more cover its slain. What is the third reason that God is going to bring about the tribulation? It's to punish sinners for their sin and their rejection of Jesus. That seven-year tribulation is going to be a little taste of hell on earth. And you're going to see this later. I'm not going to dive into this too much today, but you're going to see this later that God is actually going to use the tribulation to draw people to himself. But as he punishes sinners, all the while he's going to give them opportunity after opportunity to bow their knee to him. You're going to see it next week more. But what's going to happen is people, instead of bowing their knee to Jesus and crying out for rescue, they're going to shake their fist at him instead. Have you not noticed that that's exactly what's happening today? Today is just a small taste. It's just a precursor of what's going on. COVID was a drop in the bucket compared to what's going to happen during the time of tribulation. The wars that we have experienced in the past are a drop in the bucket in comparison to what's going to happen during the tribulation. And yet God uses things in human history to draw people to himself. And you get this small remnant that actually bow their knee and cry out to him. But most of mankind shakes their fists at him. And instead of praising him for the fact that we get to wake up today and have another breath in our lungs, the fact that we get to enjoy another meal, the fact that we get to gather together and, and worship him again, instead, as human beings, for some reason, we are drawn to the negative. And then when things go wrong, we want to blame the God that people say they don't even believe in. I find that interesting at times. Well, from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 12, you're going to see the fourth reason that God brings about the tribulation. Listen to this. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Do you, does it sound like they're being deceived? Maybe they're hearing some things that aren't true. In fact, listen to verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. The Antichrist hasn't done that yet, but we got plenty of people that have claimed to be the Messiah, claimed to be God, bring these false books, false religious books, false ideologies, and a lot of people are buying into it. And just as Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, I believe he's saying to us today, know God's word so that you don't get deceived and you don't get drug away. Cults are amazing at using the exact same words that the Bible uses, but they have completely different meaning, and they don't tell you that. Again, part of my job, part of the job of the elders, part of the job of the deacons, 
part of the job of our youth pastor, Chris, as he's teaching our youth, and Melody and those that are working with our kids, is not only to use the staff to guide the sheep, but it's also to use a rod to beat off the wolves that are bringing in false teachings and false ideologies. And the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more apostasy or departure from the truth is even going to creep into the church which is why we have got to be vitally aware of how to study Scripture. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Don't let anybody lead you astray. At the risk of sounding like a dogmatic jerk, I will stand in this pulpit and tell you that there are certain people that you do not want to follow, and there are certain ideologies and philosophies that you do not want to follow, and there are certain things that we will not allow to creep into our church because we love you. That might make you mad. I might get nasty emails from you and nasty phone calls from you, and I tell you what, that's okay. Because I would rather have people that are upset sending me nasty stuff than go to bed at night questioning whether or not I did a good job as a shepherd of guiding the sheep and protecting them from wolves. And I pray that you do the same thing for your families, that you love your families, you love your communities, you love your kids, you love your grandkids, you love our youth, you love our college-aged students, you love older folks in nursing homes, whoever it is, your neighbor, your coworker, you love all of them so much that you're willing to teach them the truth as well as point out the lies. Because if we don't, the, the enemy, the great enemy who is one day going to raise up the ultimate antichrist is completely content with leading all kinds of people astray. The question is, where is the line of defense? It's found in the church. And there isn't any plan B, gang. And that's hard. Now listen to verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him, speaking of the antichrist, Now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Did you hear that? Okay, so is the actual Antichrist, the one that's talked about in Revelation, on the scene right now? I don't know. But I do know that lawlessness is already at work. In what ways? Well, our kids are taught they're nothing more than a cosmic evolved pool of ooze. They're just an accident. In case I haven't told you, I'm super excited about our next equip course. We're going to take a look at how science... And the creation of the world actually points to God, not away from him. We're going to take a look at how radiometric dating, carbon-14 in particular, actually points to a universe that's young, created by God in a literal six days. Can't wait, but your kids are being lied to. We're going to take a look at how that worldview radically affects your view of who God is and what he's capable of. We're going to take a look at a few other things that false ideologies and religions teach and why there can only be one way. I can't wait for that. But the the man of lawlessness or our great enemy is already getting people to believe lawlessness. He's already at work. He's already leading people astray. But the restrainer is still here. I believe that what's being spoken of is the Holy Spirit working through the church. It's still here restraining evil. Only, okay, back to verse 7, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. In Revelation 12, listen to what John records. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. 
He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accused them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Did you catch that? devil's time is short. Now, one of the reasons that God brings about the tribulation is to portray Satan's character. Know your enemy. Don't get too focused on him. Keep your focus on Christ. In fact, I would use these terms, gaze on Christ, glance at Satan. So at least have an idea of who Satan is. What does he want to do? If you want to know how he works, remember, just go back to the Garden of Eden. He's still working in the same way. He deceives us. He deludes us, and he does everything he can to bring about death. Those same things that happen in the garden are happening today. He deceives us into who we are. He deceives us into why we exist. He deceives us as to what's going to happen to us when this life is over. He deludes us into believing we don't need God. He deludes us into believing that we could be our own gods, and then that all leads to death or separation. Exact same thing he was doing in the garden he's doing now. But God is going to expose the great enemy, especially during the tribulation. Now, there's actually two great lessons to be learned here when it comes to the enemy. First, the enemy's, the enemy's lies are extremely subtle and they're cunning. See, about 200 years ago when this nation that we live in was founded, it was founded upon the Word of God. I'm not going to get too far into history right now, but I will tell you that if you go back and you study most of our founding fathers, they weren't just deists that believed in some distant God. They were followers of Jesus. Just read their journals. Read what they wrote. They were followers of Jesus. Most of the laws that we have instituted right now were instituted based off the Word of God and their faith in Jesus in His Word. Now, all of a sudden, we have schools that have all but kicked God completely out, we have politics that have done everything they can to kick God completely out, and then that's even crept into our families. We even have a lot of Christians running around and saying, you know what, we just need to live and let live. If they want to believe that, let them believe that. We'll come over here and we'll get in our holy huddle and we'll believe this. The problem is there's no such thing as neutral ground. Somebody is fighting for your mind Somebody is fighting for the souls and the minds of your kids and your grandkids and your neighbor's kids. The question is, are we willing to fight? Now, many of us go, whoa, wait a minute, pastor. We're Christians. We're not supposed to be fighters. You don't have to be an offensive jerk to get on your knees and fight the battle in prayer. You don't have to be an offensive jerk to open up your mouth and speak about Jesus. Now, people might call you an offensive jerk, but that's okay. The thing is, truth, it's always exclusive by definition. So for somebody to look at you and say, well, you need to shut your mouth and just be tolerant of all things. Remember, even people that say they're tolerant are intolerant of people that are intolerant, which means that they are no longer tolerant. Did you hear that? Are you with me? There's no such thing as tolerance. The question is, what are you tolerating? As believers in Jesus, and this is going to sound controversial, you ready? 
But as believers in Jesus, we have tolerated way too much. Jesus is not tolerant. I, I don't know if you noticed that or not. My, my Jesus, your Jesus, no, not my Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, it's very intolerant. And it's not because he was being a jerk. It's because he was being the God of the universe and telling us that this is how we've been created and this is why we've been created and this is our created purpose. Okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox. Here we go. Revelation chapter 7 gives us our fifth and final reason for the tribulation. Here we go. This is the bright spot of the five. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. The fifth and final reason for the great tribulation is to provide salvation in the midst of discipline. Did you know that the Lord is going to use the tribulation to draw an unprecedented number of people to himself? Now, it sounds like a paradox that more people are going to come to Christ during the worst time in all of human history. However, this is consistent with human history. When nations are flourishing and thriving, they are the least likely to turn and recognize their need for Jesus. Did you know that in places where it's illegal to carry a Bible in places where it's illegal to preach and teach the name of Jesus. We're hearing of more people coming to know Jesus there than we do in our own country. By far, record numbers of people. We are getting these reports from places like New Tribes, from places like Heart to Heart Ministries, from places like Voice of the Martyrs. If you listen to some of these statistics, it's mind-boggling to hear how people are coming to Jesus in droves, in places where they're not even supposed to be speaking about Jesus or opening up a Bible. Well, I'm actually kind of excited that we're moving as a country to the point where it might become illegal to preach the name of Jesus or to preach the Bible because it's considered hate speech because oftentimes it's when that persecution, that pressure comes that the church flourishes. How do grapes become wine? When they get crushed, the church might be getting to a point, even here in America, where we're about to make some wine, and I'm a little bit excited. No, your pastor's not struggling with alcohol. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I saw some of you look at me like, hmm? This is a good point to close. Let me close with this. This morning, we had a chance to take a look at five reasons for why the tribulation is going to happen. Next week is all on the what. So if you want the unpacking of these horsemen and this rider on a red horse and this rider on a black horse and this rider on a white horse and this rider on a pale horse, we're getting there next week. I'm going to unpack a bunch of that for you. In fact, I'm going to let Scripture unpack that for us. Again, we don't have to make stuff up, so I'm super excited. But before we close together, I want to say this. In His time and in His way, God will righteously judge the world. 
That should spur us on in two ways. Number one, it should encourage us. Did you know that your Jesus is in control of all things? Regardless of what you see happening around you, we should learn from Revelation chapter 6 and then the rest of the chapters coming, Jesus is in charge of all things. But here's the second thing. It should cause a sense of urgency. Satan knows that his time is short. He's urgent. He's urgent to drag as many people away from the Lord as he possibly can. We should be just as urgent to share the good news of the gospel message of Jesus with as many people as we can. This is where I want you to relax. Jesus is in charge. Jesus decides who comes into his family. So you don't have to worry about getting the world saved. You just have to go out and preach the Savior. He'll do the saving. You preach the Savior, he'll do the saving. What if I ask questions that they can't answer? Don't worry about it. I know a God who's got them all. But what if I go out there and nobody gets saved? That's not your job. Your job is preach the Savior. Let him save them. Amen? Let me spend a moment, if I could. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to transition into a time of celebrating what the Savior did on our behalf. Lord Jesus, we come before you, and Lord, we praise you for who you are, which is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, you're the creator of the universe. Lord, you spoke all of it into existence in six days, and Lord, you're going to destroy all that is evil and all that has been tainted by evil, and you're going to allow us to enjoy the blessings of the new heaven, you're going to allow us to enjoy the blessings of the new earth, but best of all, you're going to allow us to enjoy intimacy and your presence with you. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for how you bless us, even though we don't deserve it. We ask now that as we get ready to celebrate what you did on our behalf, that we would not allow distraction to creep into our minds, that, Lord, we would not allow the enemy to bring doubt into our minds as to who we are in you, but you would remind us that because of what you did for us on the cross, we are now seen as saints by you. We are now seen as children of God by you. And Lord, it's all because of what you have done, Jesus, and nothing that we have done. Lord Jesus, we take time now to tell you that we love you and we praise you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.